Thank you, Dwight. (laughs) Our uh, passage today is going to be from Acts chapter 14, verses 19 through 23. If you're using one of the blue Bibles in the middle of the table, that's page 1,022. Um, So Easter is coming up at the end of April. And we've got three chapters left of Mark's Gospel And we plan to cover those last three chapters of Mark's gospel so that we can cut, so that we get into the resurrection of Christ on Easter. And so today we're going to visit some basics. What I'm going to share today, many of you have heard before. I'll introduce a little bit of this as new stuff, but while this is basic, We are going deeper and deeper into this, especially since we changed everything up a year ago and brought these tables into this room and began getting to know each other more and build each other up more and all those things. But today I'm presenting to you the biblical basis for the mission of Hope Fellowship. Today I'm presenting to you a challenge to... Pour yourself into Jesus, or let Him pour Himself into you, and for you to be open to Him, to be more like Him, and for you to be open to others, and letting others help you mature in the faith. But I'm also presenting a vision to where you call other people who are younger in the faith than you are, to come and be a, you invite people into your life so that you can disciple them. Keith Tully, who many of y'all know, challenged me very early on when I was 17 years old, and he said this to me. He said, throughout your Christian life, you should always have at least one person older than you in the Lord who is pouring into you, and you need to have somebody who is younger than you in the Lord who, is, who you are pouring into. And so today we look at the biblical basis of discipleship. Today I present to you ideas that will help us move forward in our mission in the short term and also in the long term. Today I present to you material, some of which I have presented to you before, and uh, some of which uh, it will be new. But it all has to do with God's call on us as a church family to make disciples new ones and stronger ones. It is my hope that every single person that calls Hope Fellowship home can tell you that we are called to make disciples new ones and stronger ones. Last week I asked the question and got tons of people that just responded so very well to that question. What is it that God has called us to? And some people were even answering the question, how do we do that? And so... We're getting into that today, and we're going to grow in our ability to obey Christ's command to make disciples. We're going to grow in that in the years to come. When I look at how much we've grown in the last year in this, it brings joy to my heart. But we've got a lot more to do, and we're going to go deeper. And I believe that today God's going to give you a vision for how you fit into this plan. Because every single one of you, from the oldest to the youngest in this room has a part to play in this. I believe that with all of my heart. Tell you a story. Let me summarize Acts chapter 13 and the first part of Acts chapter 14. In a city called Antioch, it was a 
big church, a new church there. Um, and there were five leaders in that church. And uh, it was the first Gentile church. It was the first time they had really had a church where there wasn't a lot of Jews there. And the leadership of the church was largely Gentile. Well, there were five leaders in the church, and there was a day when they were meeting together for, for a prayer and for worship, and they were fasting. And while they were worshiping the Lord together, these church leaders, God spoke to them audibly, most likely. And he said, set apart for me Paul and Barnabas, Paul being the apostle Paul whom we know about. He said, set apart these two men for me for the work to which I have called them. And so they did that. So this group of five church leaders took two of their best and brightest leaders and they set them on a trip knowing that God had a plan for them, not knowing exactly what it was or where they were going or where they were going to end up. They were obedient to the voice of the Lord and they went on this trip. So some of your Bibles call it, like if you've got charts and stuff, it calls it Paul's first missionary journey. Well, the story we're going to cover today is something that happens on that first journey of Paul's. So he sails to the island of Cyprus in the eastern Mediterranean Sea. And then he goes up to the southern coast of what is now modern-day Turkey. And so he makes his way slowly but surely into the middle of modern-day Turkey. And he is in a town called Iconium. And he goes into Iconium and he preaches the gospel. Most likely no one in this city had ever heard the gospel before. It was a brand new message. And a ton of people believed. Jews believe, Gentiles believe, just a lot of people come to the Lord, but of course not everybody. Well, the leaders of the town and those who did not uh, believe the gospel, they got a little bit perturbed. And they didn't like what was happening, so they developed a plan. We're going to stone Paul and Barnabas, that means throw large rocks at them for the purpose of killing them. We are going to stone them. So that we don't have to deal with this anymore. Well, Paul and Barnabas learned about the plan before it was going to happen. So they left and they went to a neighboring city called Lystra. And in Lystra, he was addressing a crowd. Paul was addressing a crowd and he uh, was beginning to preach the gospel. And he saw a man who had crippled feet. And he saw that the man had faith to be healed. And Paul spoke to him. And he said, be made well and stand up. And so the man stood up. And all of a sudden, everybody in the town of Lystra thought that he was God. And they all wanted to worship him. And the priest of Zeus and the Greek God, that he came and they wanted to have a big worship service around Paul and Barnabas. And Barnabas is telling them, I am not God, but there is a God who created you. And there is a God who loves you. And he preached the gospel to them. Well, they wouldn't stop worshiping him. him. And, and kind of a weird problem to have. But nevertheless, it, it was true, and that's what was going on. So we get to... Let me grab my Bible. So there's a group of people trying to worship Paul and Barnabas in this town of, uh, in this town of Lystra. And we get to today's passage. Okay, they're trying to worship him, and we get to verse 19. So I'll read this, and we'll quickly transition to our discussion after that. The Bible says, But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, which is where they just were, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up 
and entered the city. And on the next day he went on with Barnabas to Derbe. When they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. There's a lot to talk about here. Where did they go? What were they doing? What was their long-term plan? What was their short-term plan? How can we look at what they were doing and adjust how we do ministry today? This passage is loaded. So let's pray, and then we'll read it to ourselves and discuss. Father, thank you for your word. Would we be shaped by it and molded by it? And would you make us more like Jesus, your son? And would you do great things through us in this community and to the uttermost ends of the earth? Amen. Amen. Take a few minutes, read the passage to yourself, and when the time's right, your discussion leader will get things started. So, we're going to go ahead and get started, okay? <laughs> we can pick some of this stuff up afterward, right? So... Wednesday night, Creed and I went to Food Line. I talked to one of you on the phone before I went, and I talked to one of you on the way. Yes? Yeah, talked to you. You called me right before I left. Yep. And so, you know, y'all know my boy. He's a smart kid. He wants to grow up, wants to learn how to do stuff. And uh, when Jen's pregnant, I do the grocery shopping because that much time on your feet when you're pregnant is, is hard. So y'all know most of the last 11 years I've done the grocery shopping. <laughs> so most of the kids went to bed early. Creed's ready. He can stay up till 9, 30, 10 o'clock, no problem. So we, we leave the house. We go to Hosky. We walk in the store. And my job, my, my thinking is I'm putting this kid to work. You know, we're going to have a 30-minute shopping trip instead of an hour shopping trip. He's capable. He can read the labels. He's ready for this. He can follow instructions. I'm just going to put the expectations high and just see how he does. I'm just going to see what happens. So we got in, and he and I both agreed that we needed to go to the bathroom first. So that took us to the back of the store. So we came out, and I read the list to him. And so he had an idea where some of those things were. And um, he had his own shopping cart, and I had mine. And um, so he wanted to start in the frozen section and then the dairy section right there where we were. And I was like, okay, well, you go get the milk and this stuff, and I'll go get the frozen stuff. So, so we split up, and I got to thinking, this is the beginning of our shopping trip. I don't need to do the frozen stuff first because it's going to melt. And we had ice cream on the list. We don't buy ice cream every week, but we did this past week. And so I didn't want ice cream to sit in the cart and, you know, melt before we got home. So... I went and I found him and I said, you know what, we need to do the frozen stuff last. And he got to think about it and he said, yeah, that makes sense. So, you know, he's learning about grocery shopping. He, uh, is, I remember when I was learning how to grocery shop, I, I went in and I had to get butter. Well, I didn't know there was salted butter and unsalted butter. 
And if you want to hear about one of my first grocery shopping trips, ask my dad after the service. <laughs> He'll tell you. <laughs> so, but, you know, so I was confused. I didn't know there were so many types of butter. And so, anyway, a few minutes after we get the milk and all those things, we're going to get paper plates. And, you know, there's a hundred different kinds of paper plates. Some of them you can put a potato chip on, and the whole plate turns to mush instantly. You know what I'm saying? You can get about 100 plates for a quarter, those kinds. You know, and we don't serve those kinds here, you know, because they don't work. But then you got mid-quality plates, and then you got paper plates where one plate costs 50 cents. Y'all know what I'm talking about, and we don't get those plates either. We kind of land in the middle. And so he just, I told him, go grab paper plates there down the aisle. He just went and grabbed some. I said, uh-uh, don't get those. And I showed him the ones that we usually get, and I told him why we usually get it. So that was just one example, and you've got many examples in your own life, whether it be in the workplace, whether it be in your home. I am turning Creed into a shop, into a grocery shopper. I had to learn how to grocery shop the hard way when I was 19 and 20 and moved 700 miles away. So... I am turning him into a shopper. Not only is he gaining new skills, but he is becoming like his teacher. He is becoming like me. And he is going to be able to do the same things that I can do. So this word, disciple. In Jesus' day, it was a very popular, very common word. But for us today, if you're not in church... And, and sometimes even if you are in church, but if you're not in church, then this is most likely a word that you're not familiar with. Today, in our English language, the closest word to disciple is apprentice. Okay, what does an apprentice do? An apprentice comes underneath someone to gain a skill, to learn a trade, and to become like their teacher or like their master. So when we say here at Hope Fellowship that God has called us to make disciples new ones and stronger ones, it's like an apprenticeship. We, God wants us to be Jesus followers, and he wants us to have an apprentice underneath us and multiple apprentices underneath us. And we are to be someone else's apprentice. We are to be learning how to become more like Jesus from those who've known the Lord longer than we have, and we are to be helping younger people in the faith to learn how to become like Jesus. So back in Jesus' day, everyone had disciples, especially in religious life. John the Baptist had his own disciples. The Pharisees, they had their disciples. And the Jewish teachers, they were called rabbis. All of them had disciples. But the way Jesus did discipleship was quite different from the way the normal rabbi did discipleship. For the normal rabbi, they would have people come to them and they would say, hey, would you disciple me? And the rabbi, it was almost like an application process. And the rabbi could say yes or the rabbi could reject this potential apprentice or disciple. It was up to the rabbi. And if they were accepted, if they became the apprentice, their goal was to become like their teacher, but to excel above and beyond their teacher, and to ultimately one day have a bigger following than the rabbi that taught them. It was a highly competitive religious environment 
where, you know, if you're on Twitter or if you look at certain Facebook pages, some people just, YouTube channels, some people want to have more subscribers than everybody else. And we get into this sick competition sometimes today, you know, when you're either on social media. It was a very similar situation for them at that time. Well, Jesus took the idea of discipleship and turned it upside down. And instead of people going to the rabbi and saying, hey, can I be your student? Can I be your apprentice? Jesus chose his apprentices. Jesus chose his disciples. And for Jesus, the goal, he didn't want the 12 men that he chose to become greater than him. We know that is a a total impossibility. But that wasn't the way Jesus had designed it. In Matthew chapter 10, verse 24 and 25, Jesus says, a disciple is not above his teacher. But that's what the religious environment was like for them at that time. He said a disciple is not above his teacher. He also said a servant is not above his master. So the goal with an apprentice is not to become greater than the one who taught you. But verse 25 says, it is enough. I love it. Those words in scripture are very helpful. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher. This is Matthew 10, 25. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. The goal of discipleship is to become like our teacher slash master. And ultimately, we are a disciple of Jesus. And so we are to become like him. And in doing that, we do not only acquire new skills, but we become a different person. Now, think about Wednesday night with my son. He was learning new skills. But he was also becoming something that he was not. He was not and currently is not a good grocery shopper. But he's nine, so that's okay. Right? I don't expect any nine-year-old to be a good grocery shopper. Okay? But you know what? He's going to become one. He's going to become like me. And I'm not a great grocery shopper, but I've learned to do it because I've had to. And so, but he is not only going to acquire a new skill, but he's going to become something that he formerly was not. Now, for us in the American church, this idea of discipleship has been watered down, and all of us have been affected by it, and our Sunday gatherings have been affected by it. It's easy to think that if I listen to good sermons and I read my Bible regularly, that I'm a disciple. We have made discipleship an academic exercise. Hey, do you want to be a disciple? Then come to our discipleship class. Now, there's a place for discipleship classes. They're not all bad. We've had them here before. We'll have them more in the future. But if a discipleship class doesn't go beyond the class, then it's not real discipleship. If you just go and, you know, do your check marks that, hey, I've been through this. Hey, I've learned these ideas. Then that's not true discipleship. Discipleship is anything that you do, anything that takes place to make you more like Jesus or to make you more like your human teacher who is further along in the faith of Christ than you are. It's easy for us to think, I'm doing what I need to do if I just learn the right things. We have to go beyond that and we have to become like the one who is discipling us. Discipleship is just is more than an academic exercise. It is more than the transfer of knowledge. We are called to be transformed 
We are called to live like someone else. And in our ministry to the person that we see every Sunday morning, we are calling them to be like Jesus. And they are calling you to be like Jesus. We are calling one another to be transformed by the gospel. Not just to believe the right things, but to live a life of, of, obedient, of loving obedience. To live a life of loving obedience to Jesus Christ and to become more like Him. That's discipleship. That we become like our teacher. That we become like our master. Not just learning the right things, but becoming something that we formerly were not. Now, for Jesus, how did he do this? He chose 12 men. And things went pretty well for all of them but one. Okay, we know things didn't go well with Judas. And not that they didn't have a hard life, but they were all faithful. The other 11 were faithful. They lived their life and did what Jesus told them to do. And Jesus chose them and he trained them. Now, right before, you know, Jesus, we know that Jesus died and we know that Jesus rose again. Well, he rose again, he came back to life, and he was around for about seven weeks, we think. Well, right before he ascended back up to heaven, he said something to the disciples. Turn in your Bible, if you would, to Matthew chapter 28. If you've been at this church for a while, these verses will be familiar to you. Uh, They might be familiar to you anyway. But Matthew chapter 28, beginning in verse 18, we have what has become known as the Great Commission. This is like the summary statement for what Jesus wants all of his people to do for all of their life. It is from this statement and others like it that we have the mission of our church to make disciples, new ones and stronger ones. But in Matthew 28, verse 18, Jesus said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Hey, that's good news, isn't it? All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Okay, I think Paul knew that when he was getting stoned and almost dead and got back up and went and preached to the next time without missing a beat. Somebody at my table said Paul was very persistent. Okay, Well, Paul could be persistent because of verse 18 because he knew that all authority in heaven and on earth was given to Jesus. So even if he was about to die, Jesus was in charge of everything. And if Jesus is in charge of everything and Jesus is holding on to you, you're okay even if you're about to die. Even if someone's about to kill you. So verse 18 is important. But we get to verse 19 and we see the command. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Okay, go. Alright, so go to Botswana. Go to Timbuktu. Go to London. Go to Nepal. Go to White Oak. Go to Sunbury. Go to Winton. Go to... Sandy Cross. Go. And do what? Make disciples of all nations. What's the last thing you made? Y'all made some food this morning and brought it, didn't you? Last night, Jen made a soup. She wasn't sitting on the couch. and she, She didn't tell that refrigerator to open the door and tell the kale to hop out of the fridge and to tell the potatoes to slice themselves and to tell the cream and the broth to go in the pot and to tell the, oh, the sausage to, to get in there. She made an awesome soup last night. That soup did not make itself. When you make something, don't you have a plan? Don't you know what you need? Don't you prepare for it? She had a plan to make soup last night. 
So she made sure that I bought all the ingredients for it on Wednesday so that we could be ready. See, discipleship requires a plan. Now, it does happen spontaneously, but one of my greatest thing projects here in the five-plus years I've been at this church is to create a plan for discipleship. And we're just going to keep doing that until Jesus returns or until he takes us home. But we don't make disciples by accident. We don't, usually we don't make anything by accident. Making disciples requires forethought. It requires a process. It requires us thinking through things. And, and it requires us doing work. It requires energy and sacrifice and resources from us. So, verse 19, go therefore and make disciples. Discipleship does not happen by accident. So the rest of verse 19, it says, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son of the Holy Spirit. Okay? So we saw that last week. One of my children went down into the water. She came back up. And when she did that, she was obeying Christ. And she was saying to everyone here that I am dying with Christ. As he went into the grave, I'm going under the water. And as he came out of the grave, I'm rising out of the water. And I am identifying with Christ. I am saying that he now has a claim on my life. So as we make disciples, as someone believes, one of the first things that they do is that they get baptized. And then we get to verse 20. The next step is we teach them to observe all that Jesus has commanded. So go make disciples of all nations, baptize them, and teach them to observe all that I have commanded you. Obedience is important. We have our four questions that loosely guide our Bible discussions every week. Question number three says, what should I do in response to this question? How can I obey the word of God? It's something that we're not ever going to stop talking about here. It's the difference between someone who's a Christian and someone who is not a Christian. Not that you obey perfectly, because none of us, including myself, do that. But a Christian is one who desires to obey and seeks to obey and is actively growing in obedience. Four steps forward, we get one step back sometimes. Okay? So we have those seasons. All right? So so this is not a call to perfection, but this is a call to say that for the Christian, regular obedience is normative. It is normal. It's what is expected. So I'm working on a church family covenant as we finalize the church constitution for the legal requirements of this state. Dwight's helping me on this. And part of this is a a family member covenant where we covenant together. And one of the things that we're going to say in that is anyone who calls this church home is, is, is someone who says, you know what? I plan to obey Jesus. I plan to walk with him. These are the things that he wants. And we know we're not going to do it perfectly. But I plan to move towards Jesus in loving obedience to his commands. So in Matthew 28, 18 through 20, we see a basic pattern for discipleship. Go, make disciples, baptize, and teach them to obey. And this is a summary statement for everything that the church is supposed to do for the last 2,000 years. And it's what we are going to do until Jesus returns. And so... The process after Jesus went to heaven, the apostles were spread and God's people were spread all over the place. They would go into a place and they would preach the gospel. They would tell the story of Jesus. 
One of the things that come up in our discussion today was they didn't have a Bible. They didn't pass out New Testaments. Okay, by this point at Acts chapter 14, by this point in church history, it's most likely that none of the New Testament had even been written yet. Oh, portions of it may have. Mark's gospel might have. Mark was one of the earliest ones written. But they didn't have Bible studies. They told stories. And when you read in Acts 14 that they went and they preached the gospel, they told the story of Jesus. And they would tell Jews one version of it. They would tell Gentiles a different version of it. But at its core, it was the same story. So after Jesus went to heaven, they went and they would preach the gospel. After that, anyone who responded in faith would then be baptized and would be taught to obey Jesus' commands. And then, those who had become disciples make disciples. Now some of you in here, you may be thinking, I don't know if this discipleship thing is for me. Let me tell you, it must be for you. If it's not, there will be consequences for that. If you choose to reject the call of discipleship, because at the very heart, the call of God is a call to loving obedience and discipleship. So, you're a disciple. So, let me speak to those of you who are disciples. And some of you are already doing this and some of you aren't. The next step is making other disciples. See, the way the church is supposed to grow and expand is to have disciples that make disciples that make disciples that make disciples that make disciples. It's like families that make families that make families that make families. You know, everyone just keeps having babies and the human race keeps getting bigger. It's the same thing with discipleship. You've become a disciple of Jesus. Well, call someone alongside of you and tell them, I've started to follow Jesus and I want you to follow Jesus too. Come do it with me. Let me help you along. Let me pull you along. Has someone been pouring into you? Well, let me ask you, who is it that you are pouring into? So... We see this pattern in Acts 14 in our passage today. So verse 19. Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, which is the cities where they had just been. They persuaded the crowds. They stoned Paul. They dragged him out of the city. And they were absolutely sure that he was dead. (laughs) Okay. So sometimes when you preach the gospel, things get rough. I've never had this experience. I hope I never do. But it can happen because people are opposed to our message. All right, so he was almost dead. Verse 20, when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city. And on the next day, he went on with Barnabas and Derby. I'm sorry, to Derby, to the town of Derby. And so he's persistent. You know, they almost kill him in one city. Hey, I'm going to go to the next city and hopefully things will go a little bit better there. So verse 21 What does he do as he's wounded, as he probably has stones all over him, as he should have been dead at some point in the last few days? He's probably looking pretty rough at this point. What does he do? He's persistent. And he goes and he preaches the gospel. He tells the story of Jesus. Let me ask you something. You might not feel like you can explain the Bible. You might not feel like you're a great theologian or a preacher. But can you tell somebody what Jesus did? And can you tell someone how Jesus has changed you? See, we don't have to preach the gospel the same way you hear me do it on Sunday morning. You don't have to preach the gospel the same way the Apostle Paul did. But you must tell the story of Jesus to others. Some will believe. Some will love you and thank you for telling them. 
Many will have questions, and then we need to do what I challenged y'all to do last week and give them a safe place to work through those questions. And then some will just downright reject you and ridicule you. Hopefully they won't stone you, but they might. It happens in other parts of the world, but usually not in America because we have more law and order than most places in our world do today. But they preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples. So I don't know how long of a time period we're talking about here, but it sounds like they baptized them and it sounds like they taught them how to obey. And then what did they do? They returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch. Those are the, first, the three cities that they had been to previously. And in all three of those cities, this is in Acts 13 and Acts 14, in all three of those cities, they had preached the gospel and had made many disciples, and then they had left. So they're going back through town, and they're going in to check on them. They're going in to see how they're doing. Paul and Barnabas were there with them for a time, and now they've been on their own for a little while. It might have been a few weeks, it might have been a few months. We don't know. But as they went back in to these cities, they did verses 22 and 23. They strengthened the souls of the disciples. So they sought to make them strong. And they encouraged them to continue in the faith. I believe the Bible makes the case it, well, it says very clearly he who, that you've got to endure to the end if you're going to be saved. There's none of this follow Jesus for one year and then walk away from him for the rest of your life and be saved. Now, that doesn't mean that you know, Christians can't backslide. They can. That's a different issue. But here and throughout the Bible, they, there's an emphasis that is placed on encouraging people to continue in the faith. That's one of the reasons why every single week I preach the gospel to you, even though you believed it years ago. I want you to be reminded of what you've done. It's one of the reasons why I tell you every single week what it is that God commands and what it is that He wants from you. Because I want to strengthen you. I want to encourage you. I want to remind you of the hope and the blessing that awaits you, not only in this life, but also in the life to come. Amen. So verse 22, the end of it, we see that Paul and Barnabas were saying to these disciples that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. You know what that means in modern Gates County lingo? Following Jesus is tough. <laughs> Following Jesus is hard. It's going to cost you. There will be tribulation. That's not referencing the seven-year tribulation period that some people say will be in the future. No, this is like every day for the rest of your life with Jesus. Following Jesus is hard. And so they came back. And they're telling the disciples these things that we must go through difficult times to enter the kingdom of God. And then in verse 23, something happens. When they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. So they made disciples. They preached the gospel. They made disciples. They left. And then they came back. Maybe it's been six months. Maybe it's been a year Maybe it's been five or six weeks. And what did they do? They appointed elders. You look at other places in the New Testament where it talks about elders, and what we see is that an elder is, is the group of elders is the authority structure within the church. And there's some high qualifications to serving as an elder. It is not a light matter at all. 
But Paul and Barnabas are seeing that these people are continuing in the faith. They're seeing that they continue to gather. And Paul knows the importance of authority structures within the church. And so they appointed elders to be over that local congregation. Now there are denominations in Roman Catholicism that take this way too far and they got this giant crazy hierarchy and all this stuff. The Bible doesn't make a case for that. But the Bible does make a strong case for elders in a church. So they appointed elders for them in every church. I think that's cool. In every church. See, the reason Paul did this, he's moving on. But he knows... That if Jesus is going to accomplish his mission in that time, that those Christians need to stick together. And that they need to be the church. And I'm not talking about the building. I'm not talking about how we do it, the most common way we do it today. That These people had no idea that the church would ever be called a building. For them, the church was the gathered community of Christians. And Paul told them very early on that if they're going to do what Jesus wants them to do, if they're going to continue in discipleship, then they got to do it together. Church, a healthy church, a healthy gathering of Christians is necessary if Jesus' mission is going to be accomplished. It's common today to get this backwards. We start a church and we ask people to come. When I say once in a while that God's called us to plant churches, I mean the opposite of that. I mean... We see some Christians, we see some people get saved, and we start teaching them how to obey Jesus, and there comes a time where we appoint them as elders, or some of them as elders, to lead that church. And you know what? They're like a little baby in Christ. And then they grow up, and they turn into a big boy and a big girl in Christ. And then they mature, and they become adults, and they're ready to reproduce themselves. And as they preach the gospel... And as people get saved, they disciple them, and a new church begins wherever those people already live and wherever those people already are. See, church planning is not as complicated as we make it today. You don't need a million dollars to plan a church. You need people who want to learn how to follow Jesus and are committed to Him and are committed to one another. So churches are necessary for discipleship. Churches are necessary if the mission of Jesus is going to be accomplished in our world today. And in the years to come. But not only churches, but good church leaders. Good and faithful people who can lead the way. Who can keep order. And who can pass the vision on. And keep everyone going in the right direction. People who are able to teach. People who are faithful in their personal life and in their home life and in every arena of their life. So for discipleship, they preached the gospel. They baptized them. They taught them to obey. They strengthened the disciples. They encouraged them to continue to the end. They promised them that you must face many trials and tribulations if you're going to enter the kingdom of God. They gathered the disciples. They formed churches where the disciples were. And they appointed elders. And then the very last part of verse 23... With prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. See, Paul and Barnabas, they're going out of time. 
They've done their part. They're not going to be able to control the situation in in those cities. They're not going to be able to continue to oversee. They continue to have relationships, and they write letters and stuff like that, and that's where we get some of our New Testament from. But they knew they're moving on because God has other things for them to do in other places. So what did they have to do? They prayed. They fasted. They committed them to the Lord. Now, I don't have any adult children yet, but I'm kind of guessing it feels like that. Some of you, most of you in here, you know what this is like. You know, your kid's 17, 18, 19, 20 years old, and they're leaving town. You have very little control over their lives now. You have very little influence over them. So you commit them to the Lord. You acknowledge, they are out of my hands. I can't be in control of this. They're going to do what they're going to do. So God, you've you got to do things that I can't. And for Paul and Barnabas, moving on, they prayed and they fasted for these young churches, these young disciples, these new elders. They prayed, they fasted, and they said, God, they are yours. Your Holy Spirit lives in them, so keep them on the right path. And then they went on to the next town to do exactly what it is that God has called them to do. Any questions? If I presented any new ideas to you, can you raise your hand? Any of this new? This is what we do here. And we do it over and over and over again. If there are ideas or programs or activities that come that we can do that are not a part of making disciples, we say no. But if it contributes to this purpose, to make disciples of Jesus, then yes, everything we do will be for this purpose, to make obedient disciples of our Lord Jesus Christ.